Welcome to the Sports Town Podcast, or the STP Pod for short. No politics, no drama, no arguing. Just two guys talking sports. On today's rendition of the show, we'll talk about World Series Game 6, Week 7 NFL highlights, Habib subs Justin Gagey, OBJ done for the year, and much more. As always, on every episode, we do a poll question. You can vote on our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter page. Also, um, we're hoping to put that on YouTube very soon. Now, the poll question was, do you think Habib is the greatest pound-for-pound fighter of all time in the UFC? Well, um, as of now, you guys said no at 53% to 47%. Habib Nurmagomedov wins by submission and then shockingly retires. Habib Nurmagomedov defeated Justin Gagey by submission in the second round on Saturday night to remain the champ for the lightweight division in the UFC. However, that wasn't the biggest news. The Eagles shockingly announced his retirement from MMA. The reasoning was because he could not fight anymore in large part due to his father passing away in July from COVID-19 complications. Nurmagomedov's MMA record was a perfect 29-0. He defended his lightweight title twice. He also said after the fight that he promised his mother that he would that this would be his last time fighting MMA. Many analysts that include ESPN MMA insider Ariel Hawani said he was the greatest pound-for-pound fighter this sport has ever seen. Many celebrities on Twitter that included his rival Conor McGregor tweeted congrats on a great career and wished him the best going forward. Uh, my thoughts are I'm glad for Nurmagomedov. I'm glad he got his got a win in his last fight of his career. Habib, again, is one of the greatest fighters of all time, and it was a pleasure that we got to see him fight over the years. Even though not many fans or the casual fans knew about him until he knocked out Conor McGregor in 2018. What made Nurmagomedov special, he could do more than just wrestle. Nurmagomedov is truly one of a kind and the sport will miss him dearly. Who gets the vacated belt in the lightweight division? Now, this is a very interesting question. I'm not exactly sure, but a lot of people are saying it could be Justin Gagey. Or... If Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor ends up happening in January, that could be for the belt. I could also see the belt for the lightweight division being vacant for a while until the UFC finds a good championship bout. But in my opinion, I believe it would go to Gagey or he should have a chance to fight for the lightweight belt again. Gagey was the interim lightweight champion until he fought the Eagle. Here's another fight that could be for the belt. Maybe Tony Ferguson fights Gagey again, and this time it's for the lightweight belt instead of the interim. Also, UFC just signed Michael Chandler to the lightweight division, and maybe they will have, they will give him a shot at the title. Although that doesn't seem likely. I would love to see Gagey versus McGregor for the lightweight belt championship. We will see what Dana White decides to go with in the coming months. And then last but not least for this topic, should McGregor versus Poirier be for the belt in the lightweight division? There is a chance this happens, as I mentioned previously, but I don't think they should do that. I don't think it's likely either. The fight is not for sure, and plus, I don't know if McGregor wants to continue doing UFC. He still wants to box Mayweather again and maybe even Pacquiao. Uh, the Irishman even said he was he does he doesn't want to fight in January, and said if he has to, he won't fight. Now, all we know that is he wanted to do an exhibition fight with Dustin Poirier in Ireland, hosted by McGregor Sports and Entertainment. So I think whoever wins that fight gets to take on Justin Gagey for the vacant lightweight belt even though it might be for a while before someone takes possession of the coveted lightweight belt in the UFC. We got some big news in the National Football League. Cleveland Browns wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. is out for the remainder of the season, first reported by Josina Anderson. 
OBJ injured his ACL on Sunday versus the Bengals. This is Beckham's third injury in the last four years. Cleveland was able to escape Cincinnati thanks to a last-second touchdown from Baker Mayfield to Donovan Peoples-Jones. Beckham's ACL will require surgery that could affect him going into next season. Back in Week 2, there were multiple reports that Cleveland Browns could trade the former LSU star, but Beckham was able to turn the season around and help the Browns win five games during the strange 2020 NFL season. His former teammate LSU, Jarvis Landry, will be the team's number one receiver going into week eight, and Rashard Higgins will likely be the number two. So my thoughts are it's obviously huge for OBJ and, and the Browns. Beckham Jr. has been one of the best receivers in the game since he entered in the league in 2014. Even though OBJ struggled when he first got traded to Cleveland, he seemed to be finding his groove this season. As I previously just mentioned, the Browns were considering trading Odell in September. However, OBJ was playing well, and I do think the Browns will miss him a little bit. On the flip side, though, Mayfield will grow as a better quarterback without the former LSU star. Landry moves to the number one, and again, as I mentioned previously, Rashard Higgins will likely be the number two. I do believe the 2017 Heisman winner, Baker Mayfield, won't feel the need to force the ball downfield and will cause him to have less turnovers. That will also put the Browns in positions to win more games, especially in the big ones. So maybe this is a blessing in disguise for Cleveland. The next question is, does this affect the Browns? This might be a little shocking to hear, and this is kind of my take, but I think the Browns will be better without the 2014 Offensive Rookie of the Year. If you really think about it, the Browns did not need Beckham when they traded for him a year and a half ago. Cleveland had such a great year in 2018 and looked like their future was bright, but ego got in the way when they traded for OBJ. Landry is a great number two and a good number one. And the Browns offense is predicated on the run. Cleveland's offense runs the ball to open up the play action pass. So with OBJ out, the Browns can continue running their offense the same way they have been doing all year and not be affected. Even though Odell is a star and has all world talent, the Browns will be even better without Odell Beckham Jr. Was this or was that Odell's last game with Cleveland? Uh, it could be. I'm very confident that it is. I'm not sure who they will trade him to, but I think the former Giant and Brown will be heavily pursued by their teams. There is a chance that Cleveland keeps Odell, but I'm very certain the Browns part ways with Beckham. You also have to remember that this is a different regime in Cleveland than it was last year when they traded for OBJ. No, don't get now. Don't get me wrong. I have nothing against OBJ, but I think and I predict the Browns to trade away Beckham in 2021's offseason. Now, there is a chance that I'm completely wrong, as I, as before, I've been wrong uh, multiple times. Uh, the Browns could keep OBJ and be better next year. Now, if Cleveland makes the playoffs this season, OBJ could come back and destroy the competition. However, it's very unlikely that Odell, re Odell returns this season, even if it's the playoffs. Before we dive into some more awesome sports topics, I'd like to tell you about Anchor. If you haven't heard anything about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Can't go wrong with that. And guess what? There's even creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. That's not all, though. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. It keeps on getting better, though. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, Let's get back to the show. Patrick Cantley captures the 2020 Zozo Championship. Patrick Cantley wins the 2020 Zozo Championship. 
Cantley got his third win on the tour. The former number one amateur scored 23 under par for the tournament to edge out number two ranked golfer in the world, or excuse me, third ranked golfer in the world, Justin Thomas, by one stroke. Cantley was a massive underdog going into the tournament. However, Cantley was able to win and score seven under par on the final round in the 2020 Zozo Championship. The 28-year-old shot the best on Sunday to capture his first Zozo Championship. With this performance, Cantley now has a confidence going into the Masters in about two weeks. My thoughts are, well, I clearly did not see that coming. Patrick Cantley was not my predictions to win the 2020 Zozo Championship. Cantley was absolutely on final on fire in the final round, shooting a seven under par. Cantley has been searching for his first win in 2020. In fact, it's been over a year since he won his last tour victory, which was at the Memorial in June of 2019. Cantley was one of the greatest amateur golfers in the world. He held that position for over 55 weeks before turning pro. The former Bruin is ranked ninth in the world and could possibly move up after the win at Sherwood in L.A., California. Cantley is a very underrated golfer. Uh, he always seems to be in contention. Last year, Patrick Cantley finished ninth at the Masters and finished third at the PGA Championship. Even though he finished 43rd at the PGA Championship and the U.S. Open, I definitely predict he will finish better than that at the 2020 Masters. Now, again, he might be the worst. He might be worse, excuse me, than 43rd at Augusta National, but it seems like he will have the momentum to be in contention for this year's master. I have a bold prediction. He finishes in the top 10. It sounds crazy, but I have a lot of confidence in Patrick Cantley. What stood out to me at this year's championship? Well, the first thing I want to get in is the most obvious, and it's a, it's not about Patrick Cantley. This is about the most polarizing golfer to ever play the game. Tiger Woods had one of his best tournaments since the Masters last year. He finished at one under par and shot a 71 for the whole tournament. Unfortunately, on Sunday, he shot a 73 to finish tied for 72nd place. Another interesting note that he was paired up with Phil Mickelson for the tournament. Phil did not have a great championship as he finished at three over par and shot at a 75 for the tournament. Mickelson finished 76th place at the Zozo Championship. Of course, the other note is that Patrick Cantley won the tournament for the first time in over a year. Cantley was great and finished the 2020 Zozo Championship shooting a 65 on Sunday. Cantley is going to have a few more wins in the next year, I guarantee it. The number two and three ranked golfers in the world, Justin Thomas and John Rahm, played great and tied for second place, scoring 19 under par. JT and the Spaniard have been having a great year despite the pandemic. And lastly, I have to point out that Tony Fino came back and finished the Zozo Championship, tied for 11th place while shooting 17 under par. A few weeks ago, Fino had tested positive for COVID-19 and had to withdraw from both the Children's Shriners Open and the CJ Cup. So that's great news for golf fans, Tony Finau, and the Finau family. Week 7 NFL highlights starts now. First, we go to Tennessee, where we, the Tennessee Titans hosted the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Tennessee Titans were 5-0, hosting the 5-0 Steelers. Pittsburgh jumped out to a 27-7 lead in the third quarter. However, here comes Tennessee. The Titans forced three interceptions from Big Ben that trimmed the lead 27-24. Unfortunately for Titans fans, Steven Gronkowski would miss the game-tying field goal to give the Steelers the win. Roethlisberger would throw for 268 yards and two touchdown passes, but he threw three interceptions that led to Tennessee coming back and almost stealing the game. James Conner would rush for 82 yards and 12 carries, and Juju Smith-Schuster had nine receptions for 85 yards. Tannehill threw two touchdown passes on 18 of 30 for 220 yards, and Derrick Henry rushed for 75 yards. A.J. Brown finished the game with 153 yards reception and scored a TD. After Sunday, the Steelers are the only undefeated team in the National Football League. Final score, Pittsburgh 27, Tennessee 24. 
Saints versus Panthers. Drew Brees and the Saints hosting his former pupil and Teddy Bridgewater and the Carolina Panthers. New Orleans was 3-2 and and Carolina 3-3. Three and three. The Saints and Panthers were trading away blows in the whole game. The Panthers led the Saints 17-14 with less than three minutes in the first half. But here comes the future Hall of Famer in Drew Brees. New Orleans was able to score with two seconds left to take a 21-17 lead going into halftime. The Panthers were able to score in the fourth quarter to make it a tie ball game. The Saints, on their next drive, would get a field goal to take a lead 27-24. Thanks to a huge sack by third-year man out of San Antonio, Marcus Davenport, leading the fourth quarter, the Saints were able to force the Panthers into a very, very long field goal. Joey Sly, 65-yard field goal that would have broken the NFL kicking record by one yard, came up just shy and hit the crossbar and went out. The Saints held on to beat the Panthers 27-24. Well, this is not what you typically see every day. The New England Patriots are 2-4 and four and are in trouble. New England was defeated by San Francisco 33-6. Cam Newton was benched in favor of Jared Stidham, and could the Patriots be in danger of missing the playoffs? Jimmy G got his revenge on his former team and made New England regret trading him to San Fran. With the win, the 49ers are now 4-3. Garoppolo threw for 277 yards and had two touchdowns. Jeff Wilson, yes, that's right. Jeff Wilson had 112 yards on 17 carries and finished the day with three touchdowns. Newton threw three interceptions and only had 98 yards passing. Harris for New England rushed for 58 yards. George Kittle also had 55 yards receiving. Final score, San Francisco all over the New England Patriots, 33-6. The first snow game in a bizarre 2020 season. The Kansas City Chiefs traveled to the Rockies to take on the Denver Broncos. The game was close at first, but the Chiefs flexed their muscles and wiggled themselves past the deflated Broncos. Mahomes only had 200 yards passing, but KC's defense forced four Denver turnovers. It would also be the debut for former Steelers and Gents running back Le'Veon Bell. Bell had 39 yards on six carries. Drew Locke struggled and threw two interceptions as Denver fell to two and four. Lindsay had 79 yards on nine rushing attempts. The Chiefs are now 5-1 after Week 7. Final score, Chiefs 43, the Broncos 16. Bucks versus Raiders. Don't look now, but Tampa Bay is 5-2. Their best start in a very, very, very long time. The Bucks trounced the Raiders 45-20. Brady had four touchdown passes on 369 yards. Not bad for a 43-year-old quarterback. Scotty Miller finished the game with 109 yards and one touchdown. Fournette led Tampa Bay in rushing with 50 yards. Devin White and the Buccaneers had 11 tackles that included three sacks. Vegas had one turnover on a Derek Carr INT. Carr finished the day with 284 yards and had two touchdown passes. Final score, the Bucs 45, the Raiders 20. Seahawks versus the Cardinals. The Battle of the Birds in the NFC West. It was a showdown all night as Kyler Murray and the up-and-coming Cardinals took on their division rival led by MVP candidate Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks jumped out to an early 10-0 lead. Arizona quickly responded thanks to a pass from Kyler Murray to DeAndre Hopkins. Seattle would lead 27-17 going into the break. However, it would be the Cardinals that would have a huge second half. They would score 21 points in the second half that included overtime. Murray would throw for 360 yards and have three touchdowns. Wilson would also throw for three touchdowns, but had three costly interceptions. His last interception led to a game-winning field goal in overtime by Arizona. The Cardinals beat the Seahawks 37-34. The Cardinals are now 5-2, while the Seahawks suffered their first loss of the season and are sitting at 5-1. Last but not least, it's Monday Night Football between the Chicago Bears and the L.A. Rams. Chicago Bears traveled to L.A. to take on the Rams in the beautiful $5 billion stadium in Inglewood, California, with no fans. The Bears are trying to get to 6-1 and keep up with the Packers in the very tough NFC North. 
The Rams are trying to rebound from their tough loss to the 49ers on Sunday night football. L.A. jumped out to a 7-0 lead at the end of the first quarter thanks to a four-yard pass to Josh Reynolds from Jared Goff. Both teams would get exchange or would get exchange field goals to make a 10-3 game at the end of the first half. After that, it was total domination by the Rams. They would score 17 unanswered points to make it a 24-3 game in the early fourth quarter. Chicago would score, but it was on a defense of touchdown thanks to a scoop and score by Eddie Jackson. It was a little too late for the Bears as they would turn the ball over in their next possession. Goff would throw for 219 yards and two touchdowns. Daryl Henderson rushed for 64 yards and 15 carries. Allen Robinson had 70 yards receiving, and Nick Foles threw for 248 yards and two interceptions. Justin Hop, Justin Hollins for L.A. had one sack, and Aaron Donald had a half sack. Cleo Mack also had a sack in the loss against the Rams. The NBA is targeting a 72-game schedule that would likely start on Christmas Day and end in June. The NBA might have a date set for the upcoming season. The NBA is seriously considering starting on Christmas Day and having a 72-game schedule. The league will save an estimated $500 million if they start in December instead of late January. Adam Silver and the rest of the NBA are still entertaining the idea of starting the season a few days before Christmas, according to Sham Sharona of the Athletic and Stadium. The league originally wanted to start on December 1st, but as you can see, that fell through. Adam Silver and the league will still have to talk to the Players Union about their plans, and the NBA and the NBPA would need to say yes to any proposed plan by the league. They would also likely get the season done next year to avoid conflict with the Olympics in Japan in 2021. This would be the second straight year that the NBA would not play a typical 82-game schedule. It was reported that the NBA lost $1.5 billion in revenue, mostly because of the virus, China controversy, and low TV ratings. The league also announced that they could hold up to 40% of players' salaries for next season because of not having many fans in 2021. That's a lot of dough. Also, the cap for this upcoming season will be extremely low. Uh, My thoughts, this is breaking news to say the least. I'm on board with the league starting Christmas Day or close to that date. Uh, I think this idea is better than a late January start, and plus the league saves all that money. However, the only downside with this plan would be, of course, no fans for at least the start of the season. The league already confirmed that if the season starts in December, there would be no fans for the start. But at least we get some basketball. Now, again, I don't know how the NBPA and Michelle Roberts feels about this plan, but it seems the media and fans like the idea. As fans, we have to remember that the Players Union can veto the plan once it's figured out for a December start. So fans don't get too excited, but it's some progress. Will there be any fans this season at pretty much any time? Uh, It doesn't seem like it. If they do, there won't be much. Uh, The NBA can't do what the NFL, NASCAR, the MLB, college football. They can't do what they did because of small arenas and being inside makes it impossible or makes it almost impossible for fans to attend next season. You also have to take into account that two-thirds of the league cities can't have a social gathering with more than 500 people at a time, according to a report done by ESPN. So I'm going to predict that the league doesn't allow fans at this time. There is a chance that some teams could allow fans with the cities that allow social gatherings, more than 500 people, but it doesn't seem like the league would go that route. Uh, how this, how will this affect free agency this season? Uh, it's going to be huge for players that sign with other teams. They won't have much time at all to get some team chemistry and get to know their teammates. To be honest, it's probably for the best that this year's free agency class kind of stinks because besides the cap will be really low. But if you look at it, the 2021 free agency class is going to be stacked. 
uh, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Paul George. So to sum it all up, not looking good for players wanting to switch teams and get paid a lot of money this upcoming season. We're saving the best for the last. Game six of the World Series happened on Tuesday night. Here's all the action of the Fall Classic in 2020. Remember, all games are played at Global Life Park in Arlington, Texas, home of the Texas Rangers. The Dodgers were looking for their seventh and first World Series title since 1988. The Rays were trying to force a Game 7 and look to win their first Fall Classic in franchise history. Blake Snell would take the mound for Tampa, and Tony Gonsolin would for L.A. The Dodgers planned before the game they would use their bullpen, and they, in fact, just did that. It started out with a solo shot by Randy Arosa Reina that put the Rays up 1-0. The 2018 AL Cy Young Award winner played great and was able to strike out the side in the first inning. It would be a pitcher's duel into the sixth inning. Blake Snell versus the Dodgers bullpen. After pitching, Snell would allow designated hitter slash catcher Will Smith a base hit that would get him pulled from the game despite only allowing two hits. He also had nine strikeouts and allowed no runs. A huge mistake by Tampa Bay Rays manager Kevin Cash that would eventually bite Tampa in the butt. As expected, the Dodgers would score two runs in the sixth inning by Austin Barnes and Mookie Betts, and one of them was a wild pitch by the reliever Nick Anderson. Betts would also have a solo shot in the eighth for insurance that would seal the deal. In the top of the inning, top of the ninth inning, Julio Urias would go one, two, three. That would get the Dodgers their seventh title in franchise history. Congratulations to the Los Angeles Dodgers. They have not won a title since 1988 and so many heartbreaks that they've been finally able to get over their losses in the last few years. The Dodgers are your 2020 World Series champions. Well, that's a wrap for this amazing episode. Thanks for listening to the Sports Town Podcast, or the STP Pod for short. We release new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and much more. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, like, and comment.